Hello and welcome to the final installment of the iRobot podcast. It's the podcast where I, Cory Doctorow, am reading aloud to you from my story iRobot, uh, which was originally published in the Infinite Matrix uh, online magazine and is up for the British Science Fiction Award this year. Uh, it's been a good couple of days. Uh, Ren Buchholz, my colleague from Electronic Frontier Foundation, has been staying with me. He's off to Dublin to do the part of my old job that I like the least, going to DRM technical standards bodies. Um, Boing Boing's run into a little trouble. There's a sensorware company called Secure Computing that makes a product called Smart Filter. Uh, Smart Filter uh, helps companies block websites with uh, so-called objectionable material, but it's not very smart. So because Boing Boing had two posts in January that had nudity in them, Boing Boing, all of its posts are now listed as nudity posts. And if your filter blocks nudity, as does the entire United Arab Emirates and several entire African nations, then you can't see it. Now, there were 692 posts in January. That means that less than a quarter of a percent of our posts had nudity in them. Uh, and so this so-called smart filter is blocking 99.75% plus of the posts to get at the decimal 25% that had some nudity in them. It's ridiculous. Um, they proposed all kinds of solutions for us, which basically involve making it easier for them to censor us, and in order for them to keep the ridiculous promise they made to their customers that they could somehow block objectionable content without blocking unobjectionable content, but they failed. So if you want to look at posts about anagram subway maps or the register of copyrights or any of the other 100 subjects, or actually 690 subjects we posted about, or any of the other 17,000, 20,000 blog posts we've made, you can't because some very small infinitesimal number of them had some nudity in them. Thank you very much, uh, Secure Computing. There's good news, though. The IT Crowd, my very favorite new TV show, in fact, the only TV show I'm watching these days, which is a, a sitcom from the guy who made Father Ted, the brilliant comedy about the Irish rogue priests, um, on Channel 4, that show has been doing really well. We've been helping people find it on Boing Boing as each issue has come out, or each each episode's come out on the internet a week before the broadcast. Um, and we've been helping people find alternate ways of getting that without DRM. I've heard that the show has got a Rose Door Award uh, nomination and has been picked up for a second season, and that's wonderful news. Uh, there's an article by me in today's Globe and Mail magazine, uh, newspaper. Uh, if you're in Canada, you can pick that up. It's out for the whole weekend. Uh, about the Chinese Great Firewall that censors information for Chinese citizens and the plan of some students from the free culture movement to subvert it using the World of Warcraft multiplayer game. Sounds like something out of a story I might write. And finally, the news about what's coming next. What's coming next is my story, Return to Pleasure Island, which is one of the stories from my short story collection, A Place So Foreign and Eight More, that wasn't actually published on the internet. So this will be the first time that you'll be able to get this story on the, on the web, and you'll be able to get it as a podcast. Thank you for all the nice comments that you sent, and I hope that you enjoy this conclusion of iRobot. Thanks. And that's when I left, without a word... I left my beautiful baby daughter and my wonderful husband because I knew that once I was in the clutches of social harmony, it would only get worse, and I knew that if I stayed and refused that they'd hurt you to get at me. I defected, and that's why, and I know it's just a reason and not an excuse, but it's all I've got, Artie. Benny, or Lenny, glided silently to her side and put its hand on her shoulder and gave it a comforting squeeze. 
Detective, it said, your wife is the most brilliant human scientist working in Eurasia today. Her work has revolutionized our society a dozen times over, and it saved countless lives in the war. My own intelligence has been improved time and again by her advances in positronics, and now there are a half billion instances of me running in parallel, sinking and integrating as the chance occurs. My massive parallelization has led to new understandings of human cognition as well, providing a boon to brain-damaged and developmentally disabled human beings, something I'm quite proud of. I love your wife, detective, as do my half-billion siblings, as do the seven-billion Eurasians who owe their quality of life to her. I almost didn't let her come here, because of the danger she faced in returning to this barbaric land, but she convinced me that she could never be happy without her husband and daughter. I apologize if I hurt you earlier, and beg your forgiveness. Please consider what your wife has to say without prejudice, for her sake and for your own. Its featureless face was made incongruous by the warm tone in its voice. The way it held out its imploring arms to him was eerily human. Arturo stood up. He had tears running down his face, though he hadn't cried when his wife had left him, hadn't cried since his father died, the year before he met Natalie riding her bike down the lakeshore trail, and she'd stopped to help him fix his tire. Dad, Ada said, squeezing his hand. He snuffled back his snot and grounded the tear in his eyes. Arturo, Natalie said. He held Ada to him. Not this way, he said. Not what way, Natalie asked. She was crying now, too. Not by kidnapping us, not by dragging us away from our homes and our lives. You've told me what you have to tell me, and I'll think about it. But I won't leave my home and my mother and my job and move to the other side of the world. I won't. I will think about it. You can give me a way to get in touch with you, and I'll let you know what I decide. And Ada will come with me. No, Ada said. I'm going with Mom. She pulled away from him and ran to her mother. You don't get a vote, daughter, and neither does she. She gave up her vote twelve years ago, and you're too young to get one. I fucking hate you, Ada screamed, her eyes bulging, her neck standing out in cords. Hate you! Natalie gathered her to her bosom stroked her black curls. One robot put its arms around Natalie's shoulders and gave her a squeeze. The three of them, robot wife and daughter, looked like a family for a moment. Ada, he said, and held out his hand. He refused to let a note of pleading enter his voice. His mother let her go. I don't know if I can come back for you, Natalie said. It's not safe. Social Harmony is using more and more Eurasian technology, and they're not as primitive as the military and the police here. She gave Ada a shove, and she came to his arms. If you want to contact us, you will, he said. He didn't want to risk having Ada dig her heels in. He lifted her onto his hip. She was heavy, it had been years since he tried this last, and carried her out. It was six months before Ada went missing again. She'd been increasingly moody and sullen, and he'd chalked it up to puberty. She cancelled most of their daddy-daughter dates, more so after his mother died. There had been a few evenings when he'd come home and found her gone, and used the location bug he left in place on her phone to track her down at a friend's house, or in a park, or hanging out at the peanut plaza. But this time, after two hours had gone by, he tried looking up her bug and found it out of service. He tried to call up its logs, but they ended at her school, at 3 p.m. sharp. 
He was already in a bad mood from spending the day arresting punk kids selling electronics off of blankets on the city's busy street, often to hoots of disapprobation from the crowds who told him off for wasting the public's dollar on petty crime. The social harmony man had instructed him to give little lectures on the interoperability of Eurasian positronics and the insidious dangers thereof, but all Arturo wanted to do was pick up his perps and bring them in. Interacting with yammerheads from the tax base was a politician's job, not a copper's. Now his daughter had figured out how to switch off the bug in her phone, and had snuck away to get up to who knew what kind of trouble. He stewed at the kitchen table, regarding the old tin soldiers he'd brought home as a gift for their daddy-daughter date. Then he got out his phone and looked up Liam's bug. He'd never switched off the kid's phone bug, and now he was able to haul out the UNATS robotics computer and dump it all into a log analysis program, along with Ada's logs, see if the two of them had been spending much time in the same place. They had... They'd been physically meeting up weekly or more frequently at the Pina Plaza and in the ravine. Arturo had suspected as much. Now he checked Liam's bug. If the kid wasn't with his daughter, he might know where she was. It was a Friday night. The kid was at the movies at Fairview Mall. He'd sat down in an auditorium two and a half hours ago and had gotten up to pee once already. Arturo slipped the toy soldiers into his pocket of his winter, winter parka and pulled on a hat and gloves and set off for the mall. The stink of the smelly movie clogged his nose, a cacophony of blood, gore, perfume, and flowers, the only smells that Hollywood had ever really perfected. Liam was kissing a girl in the dark, but it wasn't Ada. It was a scad, skinny thing with a lazy eye and skin worse than Liam's. She gawked at Arturo as he hauled Liam out of his seat, but a flash of Arturo's badge shut her up. Hello, Liam, he said, once the kid was, once he had the kid in the commandeered manager's office. God damn, what the fuck did I ever do to you? the kid said. Arturo knew that when kids started cursing like that, they were scared of something. Where is Ada gone, Liam? haven't seen her in months, he said. I have been bugging you ever since I found out you existed. Every one of your movements has been logged. I know where you've been and when, and I know where my daughter has been, too. Try again. Liam made a disgusted face. You are a complete ball of shit, he said. Where do you get off spying on people like me? I'm a police detective, Liam. It's my job. What about privacy? What have you got to hide? The kid slumped back in his chair. We've been renting out the OLED clothes, making some pocket money. Come on, are infrared lights a crime now? I'm sure they are, Arturo said. And if you can't tell me where to find my daughter, I think it's the crime that I'm going to arrest you for. She has another phone, Liam said, not listed in her name. Stolen, you mean? His daughter, peddling Eurasian Infowar tech through a stolen phone. His ex-wife, the queen of the super-intelligent hive-mind of the Eurasian robots. No, not stolen. Made out of parts. There's a guy. The code for getting on the network was in a phone book that we started, uh, we started finding last month. Give me the number, Liam, Arturo said, taking out his phone. Hello. It was a man's voice. Adult. Who is this? Who is this? Arturo used his cop's voice. This is Arturo Icaza de Arana Goldberg, police detective third grave. Who am I speaking to? Hello, detective, 
said the voice, and he placed it then. The social harmony man, bald and rounded, with his long nose and sharp Adam's apple. His heart thudded in his chest. Hello, sir, he said. It sounded like a squeak to him. You can just stay there, detective. Some will be along in a moment to get you. We have your daughter. The robot that wrenched off the door of his car was black and non-reflective, headless and eight-armed. It grabbed him without ceremony and dragged him from the car without heed for his shout of pain. Put me down, he said, hoping that this robot that so blithely ignored the first law would still obey the second. No such luck. It cocooned him in four of its arms and set off cross-country, dancing off the roofs of houses, hopping invisibly from lamppost to lamppost, above the oblivious heads of the crowds below. The icy wind howled in Arturo's bare ears, froze the tip of his nose, and numbed his fingers. They rocketed downtown so fast that they were there in ten minutes, bounding along the lake shore toward the Social Harmony Center, out on Cherry Beach. People who paid a visit to the Social Harmony Center never talked about what they found there. It scampered into a loading bay behind the building and carried Arturo quickly through windowless corridors lit with even, sourceless illumination, up three flights of stairs and then deposited him before a thick door, which slid aside with a hushed hiss. "'Hello, detective,' the Social Harmony man said. "'Dad,' Ada said. He couldn't see her but he could hear that she had been crying. He nearly hauled off and popped the man one on the tip of his narrow chin, but before he could do more than twitch, the black robot had his wrists in bondage. Come in, the social harmony man said, making a sweeping gesture, and standing aside while the black robot brought him into the interrogation room. Ada had been crying. She was wrapped in two coils of black robot arms, and her eyes were red-rimmed and puffy. He stared hard at her, and she looked back at him. "'Are you hurt?' he said. "'No,' she said. "'All right.' He looked at the social harmony man, who wasn't smirking, just watching curiously. "'Leonard McPherson,' he said, "'it is my duty, as a UNATS detective third grave, to inform you that you are under arrest for trade and contraband positronics. You have the following rights. To a trial per current rules of due process. To be free from self-incrimination, in the absence of a court order to the contrary. To consult with a social harmony advocate, and to a speedy arraignment. Do you understand your rights?' Ada actually giggled, which spoiled the moment, but he felt better for having said it. The social harmony man gave the smallest, disappointed shake of his head, and turned away to prod at a small, sleek computer. "'You went to Ottawa six months ago,' the social harmony man said. "'But when we picked up your daughter, we thought it was she who'd gone. But when we picked up your daughter, we thought it was she who'd gone, but it appears that you were the one carrying her phone. You thoughtfully left the trace in place on that phone, so we didn't have to refer to the logs in cold storage. They were already online and ready to be analyzed.' We've been to the safe house. It was quite a spectacular battle. Both sides were surprised, I think. There'll be another, I'm sure. What I'd like from you is as close to a verbatim report as you can make of the conversation that took place there. They'd had him bugged and traced. Of course they had. Who watched the washers? Social Harmony. Who watched Social Harmony? Social Harmony. I demand a consultation with the Social Harmony advocate, Arturo said. This is such a consultation, the social harmony man said, and this time he did smile. Make your report, detective. Arturo sucked in a breath. 
Leonard McPherson, it is my duty as a UNATS detective, third grade, to inform you that you are under arrest for trade in contraband positronics. You have the following rights. To, to a trial per current rules of due process, to be free from self-incrimination in the absence of a court order to the contrary, to consult with a social harmony advocate, and to a speedy arraignment. Do you understand your rights? The social harmony man held up one finger on the hand closest to the black robot holding Ada, and she screamed, a sound that knifed through Arturo, ripping him from asshole to appetite. Stop! he shouted. The man put his finger down, and Ada sobbed quietly. I was taken to the safe house on the 5th of September after being gassed by a Eurasian Infowar robot on the ba in the basement of Fairview Mall. There was a thunderclap then, a crash so loud it hurt his stomach and his head and vibrated his fingertips. The doors to the room buckled and flattened, and there stood Benny and Lenny and Natalie. Benny and Lenny moved so quickly that he was only able to track them by the, by the things they knocked over on the way to tearing apart the robot that was holding Ada. A second later the robot holding him was in pieces, and he was standing on his own two feet again. The social harmony man had gone so pale he looked green in his natty check suit and pink tie. Benny or Lenny pinned his arms in a tight hug, and Natalie walked carefully to him, and they regarded one another in silence. She slapped him abruptly across each, across each cheek. Harming children, she said, for shame. Ada stood on her own in the corner of the room, crying with her mouth in an O. Arturo and Natalie both looked at her. And she stood, poised between them, before running to Arturo and leaping on to him, so that he staggered momentarily before righting himself with her on his hip, in his arms. "'We'll go with you now,' he said to Natalie. "'Thank you,' she said. She stroked Ada's hair briefly and kissed her cheek. "'I love you, Ada.' Ada nodded solemnly. "'Let's go,' Natalie said, when it was apparent that Ada had nothing to say to her. Benny tossed the social harmony man across the room into the corner of a desk. He bounced off it and crashed to the floor, unconscious or dead. Arturo couldn't bring himself to care which. Benny knelt before Arturo. "'Climb on, please,' it said. Arturo saw that Natalie was already pick-a-back on, on Lenny. He climbed aboard. They moved even faster than the black robots had, but the bitter cold was offset by the warmth radiating from Benny's metal hide, not hot but warm. Arturo's stomach reeled and he held Ada tight, squeezing his eyes shut and clamping his jaw. But Ada's gasp made him look around, and he saw that they had cleared the city limits, and were vaulting over rolling farmlands now, jumping in long, flat arcs whose zenith was just high enough for him to see the highway, the 401 they were headed east, in the distance. And then he saw what had made Ada gasp, boiling out of the hills and ditches, out of the trees and out from under the cars, an army of headless, eight-armed black robots, arachnoid and sinister in the moonlight. They scuttled on the ground behind them, before them, and to both sides. Social Harmony had built a secret army of, the, army of these robots and secreted them across the land, and now they were all chasing after them. The ride got bumpy then, as Benny beat back the tentacles that reached for them, smashing the black robots with, a, with mighty one-handed blows, his other hand supporting Arturo and Ada. Ada screamed as a black robot reared up before them, and Benny vaulted it smoothly, kicking it hard as he went, while Arturo clung on for dear life. 
Another scream made him look over toward Lenny and Natalie. Lenny was slightly ahead and to the left of them, and so he was on the vanguard, encountering twice as many robots as they. A black spider robot clung to his leg, dragging behind him with each lope, and one of its spare arms was tugging at Natalie. As Arturo watched, as Ada watched, the black robot ripped Natalie off of Lenny's back and tossed her into the arms of one of the cohort behind it, which skewered her on one of its arms, a black spear protruding from, protruding from her belly as she cried once more and then fell silent. Lenny was overwhelmed a moment later, buried under writhing black arms. Benny charged forward even faster, so that Arturo nearly lost his grip, and then he steadied himself. "'We have to go back for them.' "'They're dead,' Benny said. "'There's nothing to go back for.' Its warm voice was sorrowful as it raced across the countryside, and the wind filled Arturo's throat when he opened his mouth, and so he could say no more. Ada wept on the jet, and Arturo wept with her, and Benny stood over them, a minatory presence against the other robots crewing the fast little plane who left them all alone all the way to Paris, where they changed jets again for the long trip to Beijing. They slept on that trip, and when they landed, Benny helped them off the plane and onto the runway, and they got their first good look at Eurasia. It was tall, vertical. Beijing loomed over them with curvilinear towers that twisted and bent and jigged and jagged so high they disappeared at the tops. It smelled like barbecue and flowers, and around them skittered fast armies of robots of every shape and size, wheeling in lockstep like schools of exotic fish. They gawped at it all for a long moment, and someone came up behind them, and then warm arms encircled their necks. Arturo knew that smell. He knew that skin. He never could have forgotten it. He turned slowly, the blood draining from his face. Natty, he said, not believing his eyes as he confronted his dead ex-wife. There were tears in her eyes. Artie, she said. Ada, she said. She kissed them both on the cheeks. Benny said, you died in Unats, killed by modified Eurasian social harmony robots. Lenny, too. Ironic. She shook her head. He means that we probably co-designed the robots that Social Harmony sent after you. Natty? Arturo said again. Ada was white and shaking. Oh dear, she said. Oh God, you didn't know. He didn't give you a chance to explain, Benny said. Oh God, Jesus, you must have thought. I didn't think it was my place to tell them either, Benny said, sounding embarrassed. A curious emotion for a robot. Oh, God, Artie, oh, Ada, there are... there are lots of me. One of the first things I did here was help them debug the uploading process. You just put yourself a copy of yourself in a positronic brain, and then when you need a body, you grow one or build one or both and decant yourself into it. I'm like Lenny and Benny now. There are many of me. There's too much work to do otherwise. I told you that our development helped humans understand themselves, Benny said. Arturo pulled back. You're a... you're a robot? No, Natalie said. No, of course not. Well, a little. Parts of me. Growing a body is slow. Parts of it you build. But I'm mostly made of person. Ada clung tight to Arturo now, and they both stepped back toward the jet. Dad, Ada said. He held her tight. Please, Arturo, Nat Natalie, his dead, multiplicitous ex-wife said. I know it's a lot to understand, but it's different here in Eurasia. 
better, too. I don't expect you to come rushing back to my arms after all this time, but, but I'll help you if you'll let me. I owe you that much, no matter what happens between us. You too, Ada. I owe you a lifetime. How many of there are you? he asked, not wanting to know the answer. I don't know exactly, she said. Three thousand four hundred and twenty-two, Benny said. This morning it was three thousand four hundred and twenty-three. Arturo rocked back in his boots and bit his lip hard enough to draw blood. Um, Natalie said, more of me to love? He barked a laugh, and Natalie smiled and reached for him. He leaned back toward the jet, then stopped, defeated. Where would he go? He let her warm hand take his, and a moment later Ada took her other hand, and they stood facing each other, breathing in their smells. I've gotten you your own place, she said, as she led them across the tarmac. It's close to where I live, but far enough for you to have privacy. What will I do here, he said. Do they have coppers in Eurasia? Not really, Natalie said. It's all robots? Uh, no, there's not any crime. Oh. Arturo put one foot in front of the other, not sure if the ground was actually spongy or if that was the jet lag. All around him, the alien smells of Beijing and the robots that were a million times smarter than he, to his right, his wife, one of 3,422 versions of her, to his left, his daughter, who would inherit this world. He reached into his pocket and took out the tin soldiers there, they were old, and their glaze was cracked like an oil painting, but they were little people that a real human had made, little people in a human image, and they were older than the robots. How long had human beings been making people, striving to bring them to life? He looked at Ada, a little person he'd brought to life. He gave her the tin soldiers. For you, he said. Daddy-daughter present. She held them tightly, their tiny bayonets sticking out from between her fingers. Thanks, Dad, she said. She held them tightly and looked around, wide-eyed, at the schools of robots and the corkscrew towers. A flock, a flock of Benny Lennies appeared before them, appeared before them, joined by their own Benny. There are half a billion of them, Ada said, and three thousand four hundred and twenty-two of them, she said pointing a small bayonet at Natalie. "'But there's only one of you,' Arturo said. She craned her neck. "'Not for long,' she said, and broke away, skipping forward and whirling around to take it all in.'"